Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Alright guys, welcome back to the Bass Thumbs Fishing Podcast where we are constantly trying to keep our thumbs ripped up. Welcome back to our episode today with uh, Mr. Anthony Garcia with G-Team Outdoors. Uh, we're here with uh, my co-host Alex Cox. And the three of us are pretty much like the three amigos. This should be a pretty fun episode. Uh, we've traveled across the nation together. We went to Alabama last year together. And uh, I'm just really excited about this ep- episode. So Anthony, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you on, man. Oh, what's up, guys? Uh, Anthony Garcia here. Glad to be here. So Anthony runs a, a social media of G Team Outdoors. He's got Instagram and YouTube. Alex met him before I met him, but um, maybe Alex, you want to talk a little bit about Anthony and how you guys met, and maybe Anthony and you guys kind of go over that. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I think you have something to ask Anthony before we get the things rolling here. Oh yeah, Anthony, have you ever? Previously, before you met me, have you ever maybe turned to your dad or someone you fish with all the time and kind of bragged about your thumbs being ripped up after a good day out on the water? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a bass fisherman's thing. Like, when your thumbs are ripped, you know, uh, it was a good day. <laughs> Heck yeah, dude. Well, that's what, we, that's what we're all about here, and we're excited to get into this episode, so. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, this I can, uh, I'm pretty sure I remember... I think we met for the first time at uh, an urban angler tournament in 2019 at Puddingstone. And uh, I think that was the, the f- that might have been one of the first ones that I fished in, in a kayak, actually, because I started to stand up paddleboard. And it was at Puddingstone in the springtime. And at the end of the day, there's this guy that just pulls up to the tent awards ceremony at the end of the day on his bike. <laughs> And we're like, what? What is this guy doing? Is he just like here to watch? And sure enough, it's Anthony, and he won the entire tournament, fishing from shore on a bike. And we were just like, all right, well, you know what? That's kind of cool. And the format of the Urban Angler Tournament for everybody who's listening is that they, uh, it's a small local club that they fish lakes that you can access water, just about all, all of the water from shore. So they let people, uh, you know, walk the bank. You can fish it in a float tube. You could fish it in a pond prowler, um, in a in a canoe, in a kayak, or even in a john boat if it's under 14 feet and you're just using the trolling motor. Um, so the format's really cool, and obviously for the springtime, obviously it worked for Anthony because he fished from the bike. Anthony, do you remember that day? Uh, yeah, I was. I actually started off um, walking, and I brought my bike with me. And I was like, ah, oh, I might use it. I might not use it. And I started off on that, uh, kind of towards that RV park area yeah. from the shoreline. And, uh, I, I started like, I don't know. I fished there for like an hour. Didn't get bit. I'm like, forget this. I'm out of here. And, uh, I went over there by the, by the fishing piers. And I mean, I just started hammering them left and right. And, uh, slowly started calling. I think I caught like, I don't know, like 13 fish that day. And, uh, I think that was my first, like, real i guess you could say tournament and i mean i was pretty stoked so anthony the first time you saw alex out there on his kayak with his bow mount trolling motor probably his 15 inch fish finder and batteries and nine rods and four thousand pounds of tackle like what did you first think about alex when you when you first saw him out there um i don't even think i 
I saw him on the water until like a couple of events after, I think, because that day, I don't think I saw anybody fishing the tournament. I was like, I didn't even know where everybody was at. Apparently, everybody was on a boat or a kayak or a float tube, I think. Um, but it was pretty crazy seeing a kayak with all the gear that is usually on a bass boat, for sure. Yeah. Did, so when you first got your first kayak, what was it? And uh, yeah, what brand was it? Um, it was a... It was like, I don't even know, like a 2012 Hobie Outback, like a super old model Hobie Outback. And uh, I think the reason I got it was because Alex told me about the KBS and then uh, yeah. I kind of got into that. But you you also had, was it a Pond Prowler? Yeah, 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 yeah. I and think you, I, I got that after the Hobie, though. Because I, I remember you and Mandy fishing in that together a yeah. handful of times. And I was like, this thing is like eight feet long and four feet wide and you got a trolling motor on it and you're fishing with two people. <laughs> I think that was when I said, dude, you know what? You need to get a kayak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I fished out of like, uh, what are they called? Like lifetime tamaracks. Yeah. Was smaller, smaller, but I mean, those are paddle. When I got the Hobie, I was like, Oh man, this is crazy, dude. Cause you just kick your way around the entire lake. And then, uh, then upgraded eventually to a old town topwater PDL. And I mean, that instant reverse that that thing has was in, incredible for bed fishing. So did you did you hop on the Old Town team from like into the PDL or was it after the PDL? And maybe talk a little bit about your uh, social media, like G Team, your G Team Outdoors. Um, so the G Team Outdoors, I actually didn't start. It was my dad and my uncle, and uh, it was kind of a a hunting thing at first. And then I turned it into uh, all around hunting and fishing. And then now it's just mostly fishing because of all the tournaments and stuff. And I kind of made it a name on YouTube. Um, but as for Old Town, I think I was rocking the PDL for one whole season. And I did pretty well. I think I ended with decent National Angler of the Year standings. And that's when Old Town looked at me and we started talking. And I jumped into an Autopilot 120 and... Well, I mean, it's been all uphill from there. I'm still on the team. Yeah, I think that myself included, I started off on a stand-up paddleboard, and then I went straight into like a fully rigged kayak. Anthony definitely made all of the like the step-by-step progressions from like the most budget-friendly vessel to like the next step up, and then the next step up, and then obviously now he's got as fully rigged of a kayak as you could possibly get. I mean, not to spill the beans a little bit but anthony's rocking some panoptics uh forward imaging and uh he's got two nine inch screens on his kayak now so he's definitely all in i would say but yeah, uh sure. yeah and, and the g team outdoors if you if you haven't seen their youtube or their instagram there are some times where i was there and i saw everything happen but it's still really cool to see his perspective on on their days on the water um anthony and i both travel up and down california to you know some of these like yakabass norcal tournaments and stuff like that and it's always interesting to see what somebody else is doing on the same exact day on the same exact body of water and there's some kayak fishermen who who keep their stuff quiet myself included like i've I've got days on local lakes that i don't want to release footage from because it was so great and also sometimes i just don't take the gopro but anthony for the most part i say he puts out the good and the bad and, and it's really good quality yeah, Anthony, one thing I kind of want to touch on a little bit is 
talk a little bit about the hunting that your dad that you and your dad do. I feel like it's super interesting and pretty unique. I mean, your dad went out there and shot some crazy, crazy animals, dude. So go ahead and talk about that a little bit, bro. Um. Well, uh, I mean, it started way back in the day for my dad. I mean, he. I don't think anybody in our family was into hunting until him. He started hunting when, as soon as he became the age or legal age in California. And, uh, I mean, he, his big thing was archery hunting. Then he got into rifle hunting and now it's kind of archery hunting again, but he does both. Um, and, uh, along with my uncle included, that's again, how G team started. They started the whole G team outdoors things way back before there was a YouTube. It was, a bunch of magazines kind of and uh and newspapers but uh yeah well, i mean we go hunting california arizona utah i mean you name it we do it pretty much uh i like focusing a lot on archery hunting uh i like the thrill of uh stalking in close and getting in close to the game that i'm hunting and uh yeah i mean uh, our latest trip i think we went out to arizona and i took my buddy and my dad out there and I was able to get them onto, I mean, prime mule deer bucks that I'm sure anybody would be glad to take. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's G Team Outdoors is all around outdoors, pretty much hunting, fishing, uh, camping, anything. So between those two sports, hunting and fishing, what do you have the most experience with? Um, definitely hunting for sure, because I didn't start bass fishing until maybe like I was. 14 15 maybe i was into like the bait and weight trout fishing and my dad would take me to stock lakes and just go ham on trout and bluegill and stuff and then uh and then hunting i mean i've been hunting since i was tiny 14 or 15 that was what like four years ago <laughs> yeah no no it's, it's a while now dude i'm you know I'm, I'm 25 now so it's it's a good ways but uh but uh, yeah, definitely, I think I have more experience in hunting than fishing. I mean, I'm still growing and learning everything I can from bass fishing. That does take me into my next question. Um, I want to know, because I, I personally don't hunt, and I don't really have a whole lot of good friends that hunt, but do you feel like hunting and, and just all of the, the aspect and, and preparation and, and skill that goes into it applies or correlates over or transfers over to bass fishing? I mean, it's almost like, I mean, it's not identical. You're taking an animal's life, obviously, and you're not doing that when bass fishing. But the same way we, that we pre-fish, we scout when we're hunting. The same way we scope it out on Navionics for tournaments, we do that with uh, topographical maps for hunting. I mean, it's, it correlates, I mean, very, very similar. But, uh, I mean, definitely bass fishing is a little more tricky because, I mean, bass are crazy little fish and a uh, deer you could kind of pattern a lot easier yeah yeah so uh i mean i, I was kind of sitting here looking on tourney x anthony and looking through your previous tournaments that you did last year especially i mean man you went out to Folsom. i was there with you alex was there and crazy. goes out to Folsom and takes third and you had only been fishing tournaments like seriously for like probably like maybe a year at that point i think that was my first like real year yeah yeah the year prior i think alex is why i got into all this obviously and uh i think i had fished two tournaments in 2019 and then uh and then obviously all of 2020 
Yeah, I mean, takes third at Folsom, then goes to Theodore and takes 12th out of 52. And then his next KBF event, or his, he did a Yakabas Six Lake Showdown, took seventh. I think that's the one your dad won, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's really cool, man. I really feel like that's something unique, too, that we don't really see a lot. Um, the passion that your dad has for fishing, too. And that's that's basically like the G-Team, right? It's your guys' last name, Garcia. So G-Team Outdoors, and your little brother's getting into it pretty heavily this year as well. I know you got your cousin Albert in there, too. So it's really cool that your whole family's kind of getting in it and doing and doing well and it's cool to see like a father-son passion like it it's really awesome to see your dad out there with you and your dad usually kicking our butts every freaking tournament but <laughs> and i know that once you once you teach mandy how to really handle a fish when she's caught it she's ready to start competing oh yeah for sure dude oh yeah and yeah. for those of you that don't know mandy is anthony's girlfriend so we gotta maybe if you want to talk about i mean mandy travels with him across the country i mean she's very supportive of everything you do for sure I, and she even bought your pan optics right <laughs> i mean yeah. i mean come on bro she's a keeper for sure yeah she's an she's an amazing girlfriend for sure i mean she's uh she's a lady stick for sure i mean we've gone out to the lake and i've got skunked at uh, one of our local lakes and she'll put up a limit dude it's uh, it's crazy i don't know i mean i think be the cuz she's beginning bass fishing of course and uh, i think the beginner bass fishermen, the way they they take everything into account, like everything you tell them. I mean, I don't know if it makes them better than experienced, but it, it definitely helps out a lot because they they pay attention to every single detail that you tell them. And Mandy, I mean, you tell her that to work a drop shot or a net rig or a small swim bait a certain way, she'll do it exactly how you tell her. And I mean, she sticks fish, so yeah, no doubt. Is she the G team? Is she the G team manager? Um, I mean, Anthony ties that knot. <laughs> she, she, I mean, people ask that a lot. I mean, I mean, she, she definitely helps out with the G team, uh, outdoors, YouTube and Instagram. She's so, your agent. Yeah. She, she, she helps. <laughs> but then Anthony went to McClure and finished 17th in another KBF trail. And then he went into, or, uh, actually lower Otai was before that. And I remember seeing him at Otai. And he was struggling, dude. We were all kind of struggling to get that fifth. And then out of nowhere, this guy just like literally takes fifth place in the tournament and ends up catching him on like a little Texas rig worm. And I saw his video and I was just like, man, like this guy just like all of a sudden just magically started catching good fish at that tournament. And it was cool to see him finish like that. So you were going into Gunnersville, like you talked about in the beginning with with pretty good um, AOI points and probably even making it into the 10. But Alabama was a little bit of a struggle and, you know, we were there with you, but maybe you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about that and like the drive out there? And I mean, I know it's not really a big highlight, but I feel like it's interesting. You did, you did travel to Alabama last year from being from California, which, which says a lot, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, going into that, I, I was hoping that I would do well. I mean, I kind of did a lot of homework and talking to Shane and Alex also, uh, trying to get those AOI points out there. But I mean, it didn't happen. It was a great trip. I got to hang out with my buds and, uh, got to drive Shane's kayak all the way over there. And, uh, <laughs> which I could never be more thankful for in my whole life. <laughs> yeah. It no, might it happen was... again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it was fun, dude. I mean, I, uh, 
Los Angeles, California boy. I would have never thought that I would ever traveled in the national championship to go out there and fish against the sticks like, I mean, you guys and everybody else that I'm sure everybody knows. But uh, it was definitely yeah. crazy. I mean, it was tough. I uh, I think that is the the determining factor for me to get a motor kayak that I saw the advantages that everybody had, especially with, I mean, uh, spot lock and uh, everything else. Um, but, yeah, that that was a crazy tournament. Yeah, and then you also had some some issues like with your even with your your mapping on your unit like your your card didn't show up in in your graph yeah yeah i mean i thought i don't know what i was thinking i thought that i was gonna have my map card ready to go and i got there and i was just fishing blind pretty much it was yeah. <laughs> it sucked i'm over here cracking up because anthony that first day when we launched our kayaks in the fog bro we were like doing circles oh yeah i mean that guys, fog the- gunnersville is crazy you guys that are listening, the fog in Gunnersville, I literally could barely see my hand if I put it in front of my face. And then I have no clue where I'm at on my map. I have like the best map card. I have like the GPS. I can see myself, but like for some reason, I could not get that cursor to go where I wanted. And then I remember me and Anthony just randomly came to this huge pile of grass too. And we were just like, this is horrible. <laughs> Well, didn't you turn around and, like, weren't you right at the launch ramp again? Yeah, we were going back towards the launch ramp. Bro, anyone that was watching us was probably just dying. (laughs) If they were able to see our red and green lights, it was probably just, like, a UFO of green. Yeah, that was crazy. That was was pre-fishing, right? Yeah, but, you guys, it is very, very important. And it is actually a KBF rule that if you have a motor on your boat, you have to have red and green lights. I feel like it's a huge safety thing. I felt safe when I was traveling in the fog just because at least I had something going on. But make sure you guys get red and green lights and a 360 light in the back of you for sure. You know, I'm going to I'm going to hone in on that, too, real quick. And um, one thing that a lot of people don't think about, and that's also Coast Guard Coast Guard required is some kind of noise making device. Um, The most basic thing is a whistle. And, you know, you could have your whistle in you know, a compartment in your hatch and yeah, sure. That's all legal and safe and everything like that, but it's important to have it easily accessible. I keep mine tucked in the the front pocket that's exposed in my life jacket so that if I ever come into a situation where I've got less than 10 or five seconds to react, I can pull that whistle out and blow it. And then I also keep the smallest air horn that they make in a, in a, in a box that's real close to me so that if there's something that I can see even further out. And I know that that air horn is going to be a lot more effective than the whistle. Uh, I can just grab that box, pull it out. And luckily I haven't had to use that yet. If, if Anthony or Shane ever wins a big tournament and I'm right there, I might have to use it to, to celebrate their win, but don't underestimate the, uh, you know, the safety features as well. Lights are good. You know, having everything that's legal required is excellent, but make sure that you're keeping yourself safe on the water. Yeah, no doubt. So, Kind of going off of traveling a little bit, Anthony, you got a, a big KBF trail tournament coming up in Texas, right? You're going to be going out to Texas. You want to talk a little bit about that? Um, I mean, I wish I could talk more about it. I actually don't know what's going on with that tournament. I know it's in the first part of April. We're going to go to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's in the Trinity River system, so it's going to be cool. I mean, uh, as for what lakes we're fishing, I honestly don't know for sure. I mean, there's rumors of what lakes they're going to be at, but I mean, I'm excited. It's going to be, I mean, springtime in Texas is going to be wild for sure. 
Heck yeah, bro. I mean, there are definitely going to be some big fish caught out there. And I know that you kind of have a lot of confidence in the spawn. So hopefully, maybe there might not be a lot of sight fishing there just because of the water clarity. I'm not too sure. But you want to talk about kind of your mindset going in? Is that what you're going to obviously focus on as a spawn? And is that your deal? Is that what you're thinking? Um, I'm supposed to get there, I think, three or four days before the tournament. So, I mean, it honestly, I mean, like any other tournament, it all depends on pre-fishing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this time of year, I'm definitely going to go for spawning fish. Um, I mean, it's got, I mean, I don't know. I've never fished Texas before, so we'll see how it goes. But I'm guessing they're going to be in full spawn by now or by the time we get there. I know they are spawning now or in the beginning of spawn. So, because they just had a massive, massive like freeze over, so I'm sure that kind of pushed it back a little bit. Alex, what do you think? It might might even be post spawn a little bit. Yeah, I mean, to to some of the people that don't know exactly what the the spawn in in, in bass fishing means, it, it basically just like a lot of other creatures and animals on the on the planet, springtime is obviously when the weather warms up from the winter time and and kind of transitions into warmer days and also warmer nights and the moon really dictates a lot. So the first full moon of kind of the end of winter can sometimes, you know, you'll see a phase of, of bass kind of push up. But depending on like the latitude of and longitude of where you are in the nation, for example, if you're up, up north in like Washington or Wisconsin, um, those those areas of the country are going to be a lot colder and their, their spring is later. So that spawn happens and that springtime bite happens a lot later in the year. Once you start moving south, like Texas, Florida, and even as far as like Southern California, that spawn can happen earlier. Now, of course, Texas, and, and especially this year, they've had some crazy weather. They were spawning fish in as early as January. And then I think in like the middle of February or even March, there was a, a big cold front that came over. And from some of the people that I was talking to, they were actually seeing spawning fish on beds that were under a layer of ice on the water. So it's just kind of this weird thing that happens. And I'm sure that there's, you know, obviously some, some lakes in Texas that are shallow and they're going to heat up faster. Uh, when I went out to Texas and San Antonio last year, Danny took me to a deep reservoir that was basically a, a Texas version of a California lake where it was deep, clear and, and cold. And, and I was like, this is not what I pictured in Texas. So you kind of have to just, you know, deal with the situation that you get, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be some spawning fish out there. The next full moon is going to be like the, the 28th, I think of March. So there's definitely going to be some, whether or not you can see them or whether or not you come across them. And Anthony, I want to pick your brain a little bit. Do you, when it comes to the springtime fishing, do you have ways of like, what is your mentality of catching spawning fish or fish that are on beds if you can't see them? Um, like, do you even, do you even go for those or do you go for just regular patterns, kind of like cover water, fish points, humps, rock piles, or do you actually try to cover some water and come across bed fish, even though you can't see them? I mean, if, if I know they're spawning and I mean, I'm catching them in two to three feet of water, obviously they're going to be on beds that time of year. I'm going to continue the pattern if it's working, if I'm catching uh quality fish, if I'm not quite catching quality fish, I'm going to move out and try to catch staging fish or fish that are moving up or trying to get those females that are about to come onto the beds. Cause I mean, it's just like anything else. If it's not producing this, you're not going to stick around, but yes, I mean, if I can't see them, that doesn't mean I'm not going to go after the beds. I mean, they're going to be there. Do you, 
anticipate using panoptics, this this active forward imaging, to to try to find some up shallow. Oh yeah, I mean if 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 the water is gonna if um, if the water's murky, then I'm gonna try that perspective mode that everybody's talking about. That's super well, doing well in shallow water. I mean, if I could see them up shallow, if I could see the bed up shallow, I'm I'm gonna flip at it and see what I could do. I mean. It's just, I mean, pan optics is, is incredible. I mean, I've only had it for a short amount of time and uh, I haven't tried the perspective mode out yet, but uh, just based off of the forward and the down, it's it's going to be pretty pretty wild. So let's go into that a little bit, Anthony. I mean, let's talk about your boat. Um, you know, you could take the floor. Talk about your boat a little bit, all the details about it. So I have a, a 2020 Old Town Autopilot 120. Um powered by Dakota Lithium. All my battery, anything is just powered by Dakota Lithium. I have a 100 amp hour, a 23 amp hour, and a 10 amp hour. The 23 is for the Panoptics, and the 10 amp hour is running my Helix 8, and the 100 amp hour is running my Minkota. Yeah, and then I have a Flambeau tackle box in the back, and uh, got a, a giant assortment of rods. So going from a pedal drive to an autopilot, I just want to hear your take you know, is it worth it? What is your uh, overall take on both? I mean, even in a Hobie Outback, which is known for their pedal drives, like pretty much top class, then you went to a PDL and now you're in an autopilot. So like, let's hear the differences and what you feel like the advantages are over, you know, pedal drive versus motor. Um, I mean, spot lock is, I mean, a game changer. You could hit that spot lock and stay on a spot in the wind, current, whatever you got to do. I mean, uh, I remember Alex was able to just hit that ha- hit that spot lock over there at Gunnersville in the current and not move, as opposed to the pedal drive that I was running. I mean, I was just kicking all day trying to <laughs> trying to go up river. Yeah, it was nuts. Um, so yeah, that was. I mean, I'm, that was a definitely a determining factor. Being able to just motor around, fish while you're using your heading, and uh, just going down a bank, burning a bank, casting hands free, as opposed to kicking. And I mean, with the PDL, you have to sit down to move. With the with the motor, you could stand up and fish around anything. So with the autopilot, you get the boat. All you really have to do is what? You just get a battery and plug it in? or Yeah, I mean, the autopilot comes ready to go. It comes, I mean, with everything you need. It comes with the remote. Um, all you need is your battery. And I guess if you live in California and any other state that you need to register it, you need to register it as a, as a I mean, I don't even know, as a, it's a motorized vessel. So. Yeah, a, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but other than that, I mean, you don't got to do anything besides get that battery and register it. It's pretty amazing. So the plugs that you got stock from the Old Town, have you changed those out or have you used those? or? No, that I mean, they're still holding up strong. They, I mean, there's no erosion going on down there. It's it's money. And how fast do you, how fast does your autopilot go? Uh, max speed that I've ever got out of it is 4.0. Loaded down with all my fishing gear and batteries. And you're kind of, you're the type of guy that'll stay out there from sunrise to sunset. So has your battery ever died on you, or have you had any issues with your hundred amp? Uh, no, I I mean I've never gotten anywhere near to killing that. I think the longest that I've been on the water was twelve hours, and I, I don't even, I didn't even, I mean that hundred amp hour does its job. I don't I I don't I still haven't killed it to this day. So so with your fish finders. You said you run a 23 amp hour for your pan optics. Have you ran that all day and it's and it hasn't died or what's your what's your take on the 23? Is it is it big enough? 
Um, for me, because I'm only using the nine inch screen and the black box and the Panoptics transducer, I think it's fine. I mean, I was able to run it at Hodges the whole tournament. I think I turned it off maybe once for a couple minutes. And, uh, I mean, it, it was fine. I think if you go, if you're going to be using the actual transducer that comes with the fish finder and the live scope, then I think you're going to have to up your battery for sure. But for just the black box, the trans, or the live scope transducer and your nine inch screen, it's totally fine. At least for me right now. I don't know. I haven't gone. I, I guess I'll test it out at Comanche for sure. Cause, uh, the pre-fishing days are going to be longer than tournament. So we'll see. And your other fish finder is what you said, a helix. The Helix, Helix 8, yeah, Helix 8, and uh, that's running off of a 10-amp hour right now, and uh, yeah, it's doing pretty good. I think I did kill it at Hodges right before the tournament ended, so I guess it's seven and a half hours of full running down scan and side scan, and you will kill it, um, but we'll figure that out later for sure. Now, have you thrown a jerk bait using Panoptics and just watched your bait move? Because... Just about all of these tournaments that are won on on the pro side in these bass boats on the on the elites, whether it's major league fishing, national professional league, FLW, or uh, and even Bassmaster, it seems like the the biggest motivators and and persuade persuaders of selling the the panoptics are the guys who win these tournaments fishing like trees, brush piles, whatever. They're looking at that panoptics Garmin unit on their on their boats, and they're basically like looking 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 and then they'll cast and fire on something and just watch the the bait and then some obviously fish eat it but i feel like that's a a one two punch combo that you kind of have to dial in have you looked at it yet um i haven't used the jerk bait i was into the umbrella rig for or the alabama rig for the past couple weeks and uh throwing umbrella rigs at suspending fish is pretty insane with panoptics uh so far, I've only had one actually respond to the umbrella rig, and uh, I missed the hook set by paying attention to the screen too, so much. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, at this next tournament, I think a jerk bait up shallow with that panoptics is definitely going to play a big part. At least I think. We'll see. Alex, do you have – I know you have the 360. Do you have any kind of, like, thought of, like, man, I wish I would have went with panoptics or something else? Do you have that thought at all? Because, I mean, you're seeing – the guys that are winning those major tournaments like you just talked about, I mean, 360 is something like that's definitely on their boat probably, but everyone seems to be talking about like panoptics is what's really helping them. Yeah, so when I when I made this decision to, to change electronics from having just regular up and down and side to side sonar to the Hummingbird Mega 360, which basically shows you everything all around the boat in a circle, my mentality for that was... I, I want to get, it's kind of for me the, like a big step up, but not necessarily the biggest step in all of a sudden looking at active imaging, forward sight imaging, basically. Um, I just, I've fished on a boat uh, last year just once for a couple of days that had panoptics and I didn't quite have it dialed in. I was looking at fish, but I, I just found myself where I was looking at the screen much more than I was paying and I was fishing these baits really erratically, not at all how I'd normally fish them. So uh, to answer your question, I'm still glad that I went with the 360 because it's, uh, 
it's shown me areas in lakes that I know really well that I never knew existed, like different rock piles or different channels or humps or, or funnels. And uh, I know that once we get to certain lakes that have grass, uh, it's going to be a, a big addition to to how I fish because I'll be able to see where the grass line meets basically hard bottom or a channel. So I'm, I'm, I'm still glad that I went with it. Now, do I want the panoptics or active imaging by Lawrence? Yeah, of course I do. But I think that it's kind of, I don't absolutely 100% need it. Like if Anthony had, had caught a couple of fish at Hodges using panoptics on such a tough tournament day, then I think that would probably convince me a little bit more. Um, but you're talking about a, a big investment. And at the end of the day, I mean, sometimes I wish that I didn't bring any electronics at all. And I just started covering the bank burning water because that's how I like to fish anyway. So there's some times where actually I wish that I didn't bring any electronics. I think it's interesting to talk about price point since you kind of brought it up because people don't really know. So Alex, what did you pay for your 360 out the door with uh, your unit and everything? Well, when you're talking about price points, there's the range is incredible. If you talk about just the, the transducers alone, the Humminbird Mega 360 is a thousand bucks. Panoptics for that whole system is about 1500 and the same goes for the Lowrance active imaging or active target. But then whatever it's whatever you're actually looking at, the screen and, and the, the graph can also make a big difference. Yeah, you, there's a lot of these brands that sell a seven or eight inch unit that will be compatible with those transducers, but you might be squinting at them. So I think... In the ballpark, I I mean I paid probably about two grand for my Humminbird Helix Nine and the Mega Three Sixty transducer. Of course, their higher end unit that's touchscreen and has better resolution, the Solix, might show you better stuff. So the, the range can go you know upwards of like four, five, six thousand dollars, but you can get away with a lot of these things for let's say a seven hundred to a thousand dollar head unit and a thousand to fifteen hundred dollar transducer it's just kind of whatever you want to to have as your features and options and then anthony what did you pay for yours and what what unit are you what garment are you looking at um i have the 93 sv uhd and uh the garment panoptics and i think it came out to everything with tax and shipping 24 24 20 or something like that so almost 2400 bucks um and okay. that's not including the the mount that you have to get to put it on your kayak so then you gotta add a couple more hundred dollars and uh so yeah i mean alex what kind of battery are you running on your 360 so for i use a so from from a helix nine and i also have a, a seven inch uh lawrence hook two i have a bio no 30 amp that powers both of them all day long um and i know that the when you get into the to the the head units that have that aren't touchscreen, they don't draw as much power. So I think that the Humminbird units draw a lot less than some other ones will, especially if they're not touchscreen. So that that 30 amp hour powers it all day long. And Anthony, you bring up a good points about mounts. You know, like we're in the kayak industry, we're still there's you know obviously the one objective mounts that have come out for trolling motors and there's still some companies that are kind of trying to get on the scene as far as making customized mounts for each boat whether it's like a trolling motor or uh, a fish finder or whatever but for transducers there's still a lot of kind of do-it-yourself alternatives uh, you know i think that that's going to be one thing that a lot of people kind of have to play 
play around with and pay attention to. You know, like if you have your transducer too far under the boat, then you're going to be scratching up on rocks and gravel and, and the launch ramp. Or if you have your transducer too high up in the hull, um, if your kayak has a spot for it, then it's not going to give you the proper reading. So for anybody who's who's looking into all this stuff, you really got to do your own homework and figure out, okay, how am I going to have wires that are not just laying around the deck exposed in this big bird's nest of electronics? And how am I going to put my transducer in a safe spot where it's also effective and you know, you don't have all this clutter in the boat? Because that's kind of like my biggest pet peeve is when I have a ton of clutter and wires all over the place. Um, Anthony, you did a kind of a, a do-it-yourself I guess, arm kind of system for your Panoptics transducer, right? Uh, yeah, so I used the the Ram arm and the Ram Tough Claw at first with a inch PVC pipe. I mean, it, it was just a mount that you could go find on YouTube. A lot of people are doing it. And uh, at first, I thought it was decent. It was okay. It worked for the tournament. But uh, I didn't like how any little movement of the boat, the the transducer moved with it because of the water and the friction. It wasn't, it didn't have enough friction to hold in one spot. So say I was looking at a fish in front of me. If I turned the, or the motor and spot lock turned a little bit, it would just mess up the whole view. So I ended up going with the fishing specialties, um, Garmin mount that they sell. And I mean, I haven't took it on the own water yet, but just based off of what I've seen so far by mounting it on my kayak, it looks like it's going to work for sure a lot better than the PVC mount. Anthony, I think it'd be kind of interesting to talk about, let's hear the price point of your kayak. No discounts, no nothing. Ballpark, ballpark price point. We'll go, we'll start with Anthony and then we'll go to Alex and then we'll go to myself and kind of give people a ballpark of like, cause we all pretty have, we have three different kayaks and we all have them rigged out pretty, pretty nice. So I think it'd be interesting to give people an idea of, of how much it costs to basically kind of set up your kayak for you know, I mean, we're all pretty serious when it comes to tournament fishing. So what what would you say your kayak is worth fully rigged out right now? If you could just kind of think of a number really quick. Uh, probably like 5,500, maybe 6,000. 6, just, okay. uh, just battery, fish finder, and a kayak. Alex, no discounts, nothing. That, don't add any of that in. Just typical retail prices for everything. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about just like motor, electronics, and and battery and and kayak, you're, um, I'm probably in that sixty five hundred range. Yeah, and I feel like my kayak, um, I'm pretty much the same thing as Alex price point wise. Besides the three sixty, so I'm probably right in that fifty five hundred dollar range somewhere in there. Yeah, which isn't like if you really think about it, like, I mean, Anthony went up to six. You said six thousand, Anthony, probably. Yeah, it's probably like six and a half, six thousand. So six, six and a half. Let's just say even, let's just say even seven thousand, just just for fun, seven thousand dollars. I mean, the bass boat that you can get really for seven thousand dollars is probably going to be, you know, basic electronics, like super basic everything, like you know, kind of an older boat, and probably not a big boat anyways. But and then on the flip side, you can get a kayak. That's seven thousand dollars. Have live scope pan have pan optics on it. Have spot lock on it. Have uh, two fish finders even on it, and just fully rigged out and really awesome. And it almost feels like you're you're borderline in like a ranger boat. And it's just pretty cool that you can get that for all like seven thousand dollars at the absolute maximum end of things. So I don't know. I just feel like that's interesting to think about. Yeah, and. 
for whatever bass boat that you're going to get in the same price range as these kayaks, you're not going to be able to fish some of these tournament series with it. You know, if you try to fish the Toyota series as a, right. as a pro, you know, I think that they have certain requirements for bass boats and it's not going to either have like live balls that are decent enough to, to keep a fish alive, you know, keep you and a co-angler safe on two tournament days or necessarily like be able to actually compete. You know, you're, you're going to be with an older motor, probably going to break down a handful of times, but you know, I think a good point to, to tell all these listeners is that that's the undiscounted rate that, you know, all three of us are just trying to, you know, give an idea of, of, of what it would be like to, to spend, you know, full money on, on these boats. But I want to give everybody hope that, you know, it's, it's good to, to keep a positive mindset towards these things. And the more that you prove to yourself and prove to other people that, um, that you're invested in the sport and that you are really all about it and that you're just, you know, the way that you compose yourself and, and present yourself to these companies and other anglers, that's when these discounts are going to start to come your way. You know, all three of us are fortunate enough to be um, involved with the, the, the companies that, that we fish and, you know, we didn't have to spend all of that money on them. And I think that this is kind of something I want to ask you guys about because being sponsored and, and getting these discounts, I personally know both of you. And, and I think that you do a really good job of basically showing that you're a good person. You do good things on the water that, you know, you're not bashing people on social media that, uh, you know, any company is going to be happy to have you as one of their ambassadors or staff. How did you... I, I would guess, how did you get around to being a, a part of those organizations and how long did it take, would, I, would you say? I really feel like it was just the initiative of reaching out and starting a, almost like a friendship like slash relationship with the individual that contacted me back because I feel like I was fortunate enough to have somewhat of a following on Instagram, which definitely helped and I'm not going to you know, put that aside, that definitely helped their eye to be a little bit more open to myself. But I feel like when my hand went out and said, you know, I will, you know, promote you guys the best I can on and off the water and travel to these events and represent your company in the best manner possible. And with that, it's just kind of grown from there. It started with Bonafide and then went to Motor Guide and then went to a couple other companies. But I don't know, it just, like like building a friendship with someone it's not just like what can you give me but it's also in return of like you know you keeping your promises because the one thing that I hear a lot of a lot like that happens in the industry is people will reach out for a discount receive the discount and then do nothing in return like literally you know whether it's a simple thing of adding a company to your bio or if they want you to post once a month or if they want you to do a story carrying out your promises whatever you guys agreed on is goes a long way with the companies and I, I've seen that personally and it's just been something that I've learned and like grown on as an individual in the sport because I wasn't a professional coming into this I was a float tube fisherman that literally only fished a worm pretty much his whole life and then came into the kayak scene and you know just gave it everything I had and reached out and my following helped me and I kept my promises and now I'm fortunate enough to work with, you know, a few different companies and 
and have a lot of opportunity with that. And I just feel like it was something that it was mutually beneficial for my like myself and the company. And I kept my promises on my end. And it's just grown since then. You know, even when you're saying like, I'm going to go fish these tournaments and I'm going to do this. Like, if you say it, you, you got to follow through with it, you know, or be open and honest if you can't make something. Or if you can't follow through with something, be open and honest with the company. So it'll go a lot farther than just receiving the discount and never talking to them again, you know. That's my advice on, on discounts and sponsorships and stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just, I mean, Shane pretty much hit it on the head with being honest. I mean, you gotta, you gotta put out to get it. I mean, you can't just ask, ask, ask. Um, I think Alex talked to me about that a lot, uh, in the beginning of the year, about how it's cool to, to get the discounts and whatnot, but definitely help out the companies and reach out to them and see what they want you to do and uh, see if they could, uh, if you have, if you could lend a hand with anything. I mean, like Shane and Alex, we're fortunate enough to be uh, with these companies, and they help us a lot with everything that we do. I mean, we love fishing, and they they uh, support us in that. Um, but definitely honesty, being honest with all these companies goes a long, long way. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that I remember, especially from getting a handful of companies when we started in college about ten years ago, is that, and and I was fortunate enough to have kind of a coach, somebody that had already been in the scene and he heard about the Cal State Long Beach Bass Club and said, hey, you know, if you guys need a coach or a mentor, I can help you handle these relationships so that you'll be able to keep this going past college. And one of the things I remember most uh, from Chris Mason was, you know, with any of these companies, it's give, 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 and then maybe take, you know, ask, you know, whether it's you're lending a hand to somebody who needs to take a, a tent or like a banner down from the end of an event or whether they need, you know, some extra help at a, a trade show or whatever it might be, you know, it's just, it's the, the little things that can kind of go a long way. And, you know, there's, you never know who you're going to run into. You never know who's going to be, you know, looking at whatever you type out on, on the internet or social media. So, and, and Shane, one of the, the phrases that you said that I, I want to reiterate is mutually beneficial. You know, anytime that you're, uh, either like an average Joe, or if you're looking to go from one company to the other, you want to make sure that you understand that whatever relationship that you're trying to to get or attain from somebody, whether it's a, a kayak company or a shop or whatever, mutually beneficial means that it's going to help them out as much as it is you. So the one, the guys that are, you know, knocking the the pro staff or knocking anybody who gets a discount or who they're posting on on Facebook saying, hey, who has a discount code for this, you know. If you have a personal discount code that helps you when other people use it, well, then great. Put that out there. But you want to make sure that any relationship that you have, whether it's a a tungsten weight company or whether it's a bass boat company, is it's mutually beneficial and it's going to help everybody out. And I think that goes a long way. And the sport's constantly growing and there's going to be more and more companies that come out and they're going to need help. And I think that Right now, there's a there is a big wave of of social media influencers that you know a lot of these companies are going to go to, and, and there's a lot of mixed feelings about that. Whether it's followers or finishes, you know, there's this constant battle of well, somebody's a really good angler, but they have 20 followers on Instagram because they don't ever do it, or somebody has 60,000 followers on Instagram but they've never fished a tournament. Whatever it is, as long as that relationship is mutually beneficial, I respect anybody that works hard and and earns their way into the industry. So 
and that's stuff that you don't really hear a lot. Yeah, and one one thing too I kind of wanted to touch on is like Anthony can attest to this, and you too, Alex, is like creating content is a grind. YouTube is a grind. Instagram is a grind to an extent. Like if you really, really put a lot of time and effort into it, it's a grind. And I feel like that's where companies are, you know, that's where every advertisement avenue right now is going to, especially with the pandemic and like everything not being meet in person. I don't know, magazines are out the door. Like there's a bunch of stuff that's out the door and Instagram and social media is like the new way to connect businesses and people and and put eyes on people's product and and companies understand that. So I feel like if you're an individual that creates content, you know, especially YouTube and Instagram, which is the two major front runners, then I feel like with you believing in yourself and approaching companies, I feel like it's cool to receive discounts and and have a, a relationship with companies that feel like you're putting in hard work for them. But if you're an individual that just, I don't know, just fishes and doesn't do anything else other than fish and doesn't really push any anything in any sort of way other than like I guess just fish, I feel like the people like are gonna be, I don't know, lost in that like why am I not getting sponsored? It's it takes a lot of work, I feel like. That's just my own personal opinion. Um and carrying out the promises of like I'm gonna do vlogs and I'm gonna do video walkthroughs, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort for sure. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, kind of just going on to a little bit more of a tangent of, of something else, even just helping out companies that you're not expecting something in return. Like for example, local tackle shops, you know, we always want to support small businesses and everybody has their personal local tackle shop where they go in there, whether they not, they have the exact color and size of whatever you need. Everybody has a shop that they like to go to and they end up talking to the guys. They get to know the people that work there and they they support them. They recommend them to anybody else that's either new or they say, hey, they, they've got, you know, exactly what, what I'm catching them on. You should go there and buy them. You know, I personally go to Performance Tackle in Los Alamitos and I'm never really looking for anything in return, but I like to help promote those guys and, and talk about them because it's a, they're one of the, the things that really keep this sport growing because they help those average Joes, not necessarily, you know, they're not, might not give everybody a discount, but they're going to help people catch fish. And that's kind of what this all kind of comes circling back to is catching fish, whether you're fishing for tournaments, whether you're just fishing the bank on Saturdays and Sundays in your weekend warrior. Um, Anthony, I know you have a, a shop that you go to locally now. Uh, yeah, Taco Shack USA in Somar, California. If you guys know where uh, Hanson Dam is in Somar, it's pretty much right up the street, two-minute walk. Actually, not two-minute walk, two-minute drive, like 10-minute walk. Um, but, yeah, I mean, super cool people. I mean, uh, they have a, a an amazing shop. I mean, I mean, I would put it as the best shop that I've been to in Southern California. I've only been to a handful of shops, but great, great group of guys. I mean, they'll talk to you about fishing for hours and hours and help you with anything you need. And uh, that's why I kind of I was okay with teaming up with them um, because uh, they're a great group of people and I like how they uh, carry themselves. One thing too, touching just really quick is I kind of missed a point is creating content, Instagram, YouTube. It definitely, definitely helps you 
with your sponsorships and with your companies to place well in tournaments. I'm not going to dismiss the fact that you have you in a sense performing will definitely help you. And I feel like, you know, if you're not, you know, I just feel like when you're creating content and performing, it's like pretty much the whole package for a company. If you're performing and not creating content, then that individual is probably going to take a little bit longer to to gain some attention from the companies because there's like like you said there's not really anything in it for the company other than like he's doing well fishing type thing and he's going to get pictures at that tournament but the individual that does well at that tournament and makes a vlog about it and posts about it and has a following it's like the whole package for a company does that does that make sense yeah like Brandon Polinick for example like when he wins a tournament and you're able to watch his entire experience and everything that he did, it is like, it makes you want to buy Exo Lures, bro. Like, it makes you want to buy everything that dude has, like Rod Glove and everything, dude. It's it's incredible. But the individual that, like that the, the person that won um, the last Elite Series, or was it the first Elite Series, he was a newer angler, and there's no vlog or anything about it, and it was really cool to see. It was his first time doing it, but... I literally don't know what he was using. If I didn't watch, you know what I mean? There's just like that angler that does really well and doesn't create any content. And then there's an angler that does well and creates content. I feel like that right now in our in our industry, in our world, definitely has the upper hand when it comes to, you know, sponsorships and whatnot. So that's just my last point about that. But Anthony, going into this year, what are you looking forward to most? What tournament do you have your eyes set on? What is your goal for this year? And then we'll kind of wrap up uh, up up this podcast. It's been a really good one. Um, goal for this year, or I mean, goal for this year, uh, coming from last year, definitely making it to the ten. Uh, it was pretty close last year, other than Gunnersville, and I I want to try my hardest to make it happen. That's why kind of why I'm making it out to Texas. That's what I'm looking forward to. Texas is, I mean, I've never fished Texas. I've read about it in magazines when I was little. I've seen it on YouTube a bunch of times, and I'm super excited to get out there. And uh, try to make a lot of angler of the year points uh, in that. That's a that's the goal for this year, definitely, and it should be fun. We're gonna see what we can do. Do you plan on going to the national championship next year in Louisiana or this year in Louisiana? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, that's I mean, after this last nationals, dude. I mean, uh, it's gonna be hard to pull away from that. Going there, uh, see if we can't get a big old house of the California dudes and uh, have a big old party out there. For sure, for sure. All right, Anthony. Well, going ahead and wrapping this thing up. Uh, maybe take thirty seconds or whatever, and thank any sponsors or anyone that supports you in the sport. Oh uh, yeah, I definitely want to thank my uh, supporters and sponsors: uh, Old Town Kayak and Canoe, Dakota Lithium, uh, Taco Shack USA, Kayak Fishing Supplies, and uh, Boondocks USA. Uh, they're great companies. You guys could go check them out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and their websites. Awesome, and of course, Anthony. and of course, Bastums fishing podcast hey <laughs> yeah well thanks for coming on the show with us anthony it's been a really good talk and man we can't wait to have you back on maybe after one of your big wins because i i feel like honestly i'm going to say this since we're all friends i feel like all three of us are due for a major win maybe that's our goal together as like the three amigos this year like let's get a major win between all three of us it'll be cool but i know that one's probably coming for you soon man keep up keep up everything you're doing you put a lot of work into the sport and uh, I commend you for everything, man. It's it's cool to watch as a friend too. So 
I really appreciate it, dude. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. All right. Well, there you have it. That was Anthony Garcia. You can follow them at G Team Outdoors on YouTube and social media. Uh, you know what? It's springtime here in Southern California. The weather's warming up, the water's warming up, and these fish are really starting to get active and move up. So get out there, catch some fish, and as always, keep your thumbs ripped.